Welcome to Inspirational Tales. When my guests on this podcast experience the most challenging times of their lives, they use these hardships to learn, grow and better themselves. And as a result, they are now thriving in life. Their stories are ones of resilience, strength and overcoming adversity. So sit back and join me as we celebrate them turning their challenges into triumphs. My guest on this episode is Meg Salisbury, who joined me to celebrate Rare Disease Day. In 2016, Meg's daughter Ginger was the first person in Australia and only the 34th person in the world to be diagnosed with the rare disease CAT6A. As of the beginning of 2022, there are now 13 people diagnosed with CAT6A in Australia. Meg is on the board of the CAT6A Foundation and also liaises with researchers in Melbourne at Murdoch Children's Research Institute and Walter and Eliza Hall Institute of Medicine, who are working on CAT6A. She also offers support to Australian families, in particular when their child is first diagnosed with CAT6A. In this interview, Meg discusses what Rare Disease Day is, why it is important to speak out and raise awareness for rare diseases, and what we can do to help. She also shares many insights into how CAT6A affects Ginger, the challenges and joys of being Ginger's mum, and how the parents of children with CAT6A have banded together to help each other. Meg is an absolute gem. She is an open book and is more than happy to answer questions and offer advice to those who need it. So I hope you enjoy hearing her story and learn some things about rare diseases that maybe you didn't already know. Hi Meg, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. No worries at all. So today is a bit of an important episode because it's coming out. Well, I always get confused here because we recorded this before it comes out, but it's coming out on the 28th of February, which is Rare Disease Day. Could be on the 29th of February if it's a leap year, obviously the rarest day of the year. But can you start off by explaining to us a bit about what Rare Disease Day is and what actually constitutes a rare disease? Sure. So Rare Disease Day is a way to celebrate and to raise awareness for all the people in the world who are living with a rare disease. So in Australia, a disease is considered rare if it affects less than five in 10,000 people. Oh, wow. Now, it's hard to know exactly, but there's over 7,000 different rare diseases in the world. And in Australia, we have around 2 million people living with a rare disease, which is actually quite a lot. Globally, there's over 300 million. So while each disease alone is rare, as a whole, rare diseases aren't that rare. So we need to raise awareness. Yeah, well, that is a lot of people combined, isn't it, when you think about it? Wow, I didn't realise that many people. Yes, so many people walking around living with a rare disease. So your the reason why you're here is because your daughter, Ginger, does have a rare disease called CAT6A, which we are going to speak about a bit today. But as I do in all of my interviews, I like to kind of go back to the beginning to start with. So can you tell us a bit about what you and your life was like prior to you having Ginger? So before having children, I mean, I was pretty typical. I'm generally quite an energetic person. I love having fun. So going out, going to parties, traveling, you know, just following the same path as most people do, like work, you meet someone, buy a house, talk about the future, how many kids do you want? What are you going to call them? You know, just (laughs) the same as most other people, I suppose. So then you did get pregnant with Ginger. Mm -hmm. Can -hmm. you tell us how your pregnancy went? a really great pregnancy 
I took it quite seriously. So I did yoga, I was meditating, I did a calm birth course and everything was pretty good. I did. I do remember being aware that she didn't kick that much. She didn't seem to be that mobile, but I didn't think much of it. She went full term. I had a great labour and, yeah, everything just went well. It was in the labour ward, though, that the first unusual thing happened with her, which was straight after you give birth and they like to put them straight on the breast to breastfeed. And she put her hands on either side of my chest and held her head up, which is quite unusual. Babies can't hold their own head up. And I remember the midwife saying to me, in 30 years of doing this, I've never seen a baby do that. So that was the first unusual thing to happen was right then. And and I have a, another Cat 6A mum over in America who's a friend of mine now, and her son did the exact same thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Why do they do that? Was there a reason? Do you know of? Why, why Ginger did that? No, I don't know. Just I don't think she wanted to feed. I mean, I don't know. She had literally just been born and she couldn't feed. I learned that afterwards, but she just put her hands on my chest, held her head back and screamed. Wow. Okay. But during your pregnancy and everything, there was no indication that there was anything uh, untoward that was happening? No, I did all the tests. I mean, they wouldn't have been able to pick up that she had CAT 6A syndrome then because it didn't exist at the time. They hadn't discovered it. So I did everything right. I did all the tests. Nothing was picked up. That's, I suppose, part of having a rare disease is, you know, you can, if it's if it's not discovered at the time, how are they going to know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So apart from that initial not wanting to feed, when did you start to notice that there was something that wasn't quite right? So in hospital, I had uh, five days in hospital after giving birth and she the feeding was an issue from the get-go, but no one thought too much of it until the last day I was packed up ready to go home, waiting to be picked up to go home from the hospital. And a midwife was on duty that day and she wasn't happy with the feeding and realised that she wasn't putting on weight. And so they put her in the special care nursery and things quickly progressed from there. She was having uh, what they call dusky episodes where her oxygen saturation levels were going down and she was turning blue at times so they did a scope to have a look to see if they could see anything wrong and they didn't and I remember being told by the ENT we did a scope everything's fine um, but we're going to fly her via air ambulance to Royal Children's Hospital (laughs) I just thought what is going on this has all happened so quickly I was packed ready to go home with my baby and now they're saying Everything looks fine, yet she's going to be flying down to Royal Children's. It was all a bit of a whirlwind. And when the air ambulance came, they only have six seats, you know, one for pilot, co-pilot, doctor, nurse, and two paramedics. So as a parent, you have to find your own way down there. You can't get on the plane. And it just was not an option for me to not be on the plane with her. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. But fortunately, the co-pilot was on a break, so they had a spare seat and they let me 
go on. And, yeah, I just remember thinking, don't get in their way. Don't make them regret letting you be here. (laughs) And sitting in the plane and the alarms were going off because she was turning blue. And I just... scary. (laughs) Yeah, I, I just was holding it together so tightly, though. And when we arrived, you know, you go up the back way through the hospital and we came out of the lifts to go into the children's ward and my two sisters, because I'd obviously been communicating with my family, two of my sisters were sitting there waiting for me as soon as I got out of the lift and I walked out behind them, um, behind the trolley with ginger on it in the humidity crib and I saw them and I just, I literally just almost collapsed in their arms. Like I just had been holding myself together so tightly and yeah I just collapsed and burst into tears and they held me up and yeah so that was what it was like getting to the hospital but once we got there they still didn't know what was wrong they found a few heart issues they basically just said to me if she can if you can get her to feed and put on weight then you can go home and so once we did that we went home things were seemed normal she did the next unusual thing she did was she rolled over from her tummy to her back at one month of age which again is quite early and again the mum in America her son did the same thing and so I saw the pediatrician and I remember him saying to me oh you know maybe she's a genius (laughs) (laughs) but yeah no one picked anything up we went along until I remember standing in my mum's kitchen and she was about five months of age and I just had this feeling brewing and I hadn't said anything and I just I opened my mouth and I said mum something's not right I can tell I just know and then I suppose the journey began went to a pediatrician he sent us to a geneticist and that's how it all starts. So then what was your experience like because obviously you did find out that she had a, a rare disease and not only that but she ended up being the first person to be diagnosed in Australia so there was no one else before her with this condition supposedly in Australia so what was your experience like with the medical system going to them t- saying there's something wrong um, how did you go about working that out and, and how was your experience with that My experience was actually quite good. I know it's really difficult for a lot of people and they have a very long journey to getting a diagnosis. I have always said I feel very fortunate. I saw Ginger's paediatrician and he, as I said, sent us to a geneticist who came. I was living in Albury at the time in a regional area and they came from Melbourne and he asked if I would like to put Ginger into a study which, of course, I agreed. I'm a big believer in research and the benefits of it. And they did what they call whole exome sequencing. And through that, that's often where, you know, they pick up any genetic mutations if they're known about. At the time, I remember him saying to me that they only knew what 2,300 of our genes did at the time, that he said we have about approximately 25,000 genes each. So it was, That's a lot. they didn't know what a lot of our genes did. So it's great to do whole exome sequencing, but you need to know what you're looking for, I mm-hmm. suppose, in a sense. And then he presented ginger facial photos, 
information that I'd gathered. He presented her at um, one of the monthly meetings that they have with all the geneticists in Victoria. And they thought it was a few different things at first, but they weren't quite sure. And then one of his colleagues read the first paper that was ever published on CAT6A in the American Journal of Genetics. And he went to Ginger's geneticist and he said, I think this is your ginger. And so they went back to her information and they looked up the CAT6A gene and found a mutation. And then they just needed to take blood samples from Ginger's dad and myself and Ginger and sent it over to America to make sure that it wasn't something that we had. And that's how they discovered it. So it sounds incredibly lucky that the paper had just come out and they were looking at her case at the time to then work this out. Yes, as I said, I feel very fortunate and I have a lovely paediatrician and the geneticists that I still keep in touch with randomly today to check in. They were just all so caring and I feel like we had quite a quick journey on that, whereas a lot of people don't and they go through a lot of testing. Um, It can be quite invasive and... I do feel very fortunate. So how long did it take? How old was Ginger when she was diagnosed? She was two and a half and it only took about a year from when we saw the geneticist to when she got her diagnosis. Okay. Just over a year, yep. So I think now's a good time to speak about what CAT6A actually is. So can you explain to us what CAT6A is and how does it affect Ginger? So CAT6A is when you have a mutation on the CAT6A gene. So Ginger, for example, is missing three letters on her CAT6A gene. And when you get a change on the gene like that, it affects how certain parts of her body function. So as an example, Ginger has global developmental delay, which if you don't know, is when a child has delays in several areas of their development, like fine motor, gross motor, social skills, speech, cognition. So she has significant speech and language deficits. She's essentially nonverbal. She does have some words, but she's not conversational. They're all mainly one words and it requires prompting. She has quite severe constipation issues, uh, feeding difficulties, as I said earlier. Uh, It affects her vision, some heart defects and intellectual disability. So CAT6A, like a lot of syndromes, has quite a wide spectrum, but the majority of the the children or the people affected with CAT6A do have speech and language deficits and gastrointestinal issues as, you know, their main challenges. But then the other things some some people do and some people don't, is that what you're saying? Yeah, so some people, for example, have seizures. Ginger's never suffered from seizures, so... There are some characteristics that manifest uh, differently in people with CAT6A. It depends where on the gene that you have the variant and what sort of variant you have as to how it affects you. And how rare is CAT6A? So currently we know of approximately 350 in the world that are diagnosed with CAT6A. that's not many. No, not many at all. And we're also looking at CAT6B now. So the CAT6 disorders 
as a whole because when people are looking to research rare syndromes, it's better for them to get funding if they can look at more than one syndrome. Okay. And how about in Australia? Ginger, like I said before, was the first person diagnosed. Are there any others in Australia now? Yes. Again, at the moment, we know of 13 in Australia. Sorry, can I just interrupt there? How many, when did, was Ginger diagnosed? What year? She was diagnosed officially at the start of 2016. Okay. So now there's 13 in beginning of 2022. Yeah. So it takes some time. Yeah, it takes some time. That's why it's great to have Rare Disease Day to raise awareness because there are people out there whose children possibly have CAT6A but they've been diagnosed with a different syndrome or they've been diagnosed with ASD and they're just going along with that but they may have CAT6A and so the more we talk about it and the more we discuss the characteristics, they may think, oh, that sounds like my child or that sounds like my niece and then go and get tested. And what is the testing? Is it just a simple genetic test? So with whole exome sequencing, they just need DNA. So it's not really invasive. They just need a DNA sample and they can look at it from there. Okay. So going back to how Ginger presents, you were talking about she's being she's largely nonverbal. But mm-hmm. I know when we were speaking a couple of weeks ago that you were saying that she her receptive language is good so she can understand basically what you're saying. Can you speak a bit about that and and how that affects you and her, I guess? Yeah, that's a that's a big one that I'm always trying to I suppose educate people about is that just because someone is unable to speak doesn't mean they don't understand. It, it's an assumption that a lot of people make. And not only that, but that I suppose their intellectual level is less than what it is. People often speak to her like she's she's now eight and a half. People often still speak to her like she's a baby or a toddler, you know, in the third person, like, Gingy, Gingy want an apple? Or, you know, whereas I'll say, Ging, would you like an apple? You know, like I would to another eight-year-old. And one of the first words I really focused on trying to teach her was yes and no. Um, because I figure that's a great way to communicate. So I can say, Ginger, would you like an apple? And she'll go, yeah. And people I find when we're out, they will speak to me once they realise that she's essentially nonverbal and ignore her. And I just think, oh, I I just, I I can't imagine how that must feel. Mm -hmm. As a person, I mean, she has so many challenges that she has to deal with every day, multiple times a day, but to then be essentially ignored over and over again, it just must feel so crap. And, oh, sorry, it makes me emotional because I just... No, go ahead. (laughs) You know, and, and then even people speaking to her in that way, she must just be so frustrated, like, for God's sake, you know. I'm not a baby. Don't talk to me like that. I've always tried to speak to her the way that I would someone else. I mean, of course, there's there's times where I need to maybe be more concise with my language or repeat things because she's distracted. But generally, I'll say, Ginger, if you're finished with your bowl, can you please take it to the sink? 
and she'll stand up and she'll take her bowl to the sink. She absolutely understands what I'm saying. You know, I make her help me clean up, all those things. Yeah, it's just an assumption that, and I understand, but it's just something that I really try to explain to people and educate them on is that just because someone isn't able to speak doesn't mean they don't understand and to just be aware of that and to find a way to communicate. So my number one top tip I say to people if you're trying to communicate with someone who's nonverbal is ask closed questions because often they will have a way to say yes or no. It might be with sign. It might be a thumbs up. It might be in Ginger's case she can say yes and no. Um, it might be a head nod. I met a guy one time and he would grab my hand as a way of saying yes and then he would do nothing for no. And we had a conversation in that way about tractors and if he was having a good day. So if you ask a closed question, often they'll have a way to be able to answer you and then it's up to you to be creative with the questions that you ask. Because, you know, if you don't, I, I know it's, you know, a little bit difficult and a little bit challenging for you to have to speak in that way and to have to think that way, but it makes a world of difference to them to have someone stop and include them in their day and include them in the conversation when they're always being ignored. It, that's a huge difference that you're making to their day for just a small amount of inconvenience to you. So being a mum of a child with a rare disease, how hard was it for you to be able to find a network of support for yourself? Because you were just talking about how you've met someone in America who had similar, their child had similar things to what Ginger had. How did you go about finding a support network for yourself yeah, to help you along the way? So again, I was very fortunate. I literally just Googled Cat6A and a website came up about a girl who was the first diagnosed in the world and her dad had set this website up and I sent him an email and he said we have a Facebook support group and so I joined that and yeah met a few people there was I I think there was you know Ginger was the 30 something in the world so there was a few of them on there and they were also welcoming and lovely and They're, you know, they're like another type of family to me now. It was really easy. I feel very fortunate and I'm so grateful to this day for that father to get the ball rolling and get it started. Do you know when that was that his child was diagnosed, when the first person was? Well, it was published in October 2014, but when she was actually diagnosed, I'm not exactly sure. I can't imagine how that would have been. Obviously, being the first in Australia would be difficult, but being the first in the whole world, can't imagine how difficult and lonely that must be to then have to navigate everything yourself for the first time. Well, there was actually two papers published and 11 children in total out of those two papers. So they were all sort of... Oh, okay. All yeah, at the same time. Yeah, so, yeah. So the geneticist over in America you know, put the pieces together and connected the dots with those children. How important is that support network for you? It's amazing. I mean, it's grown now substantially. One of the parents has done a a map up where we can see all the, you know, where all the children are located around the world. So that's useful. 
just to ask a question, particularly because when you're dealing with doctors, even specialists, because it's so rare, they don't know. So if something's happening, you know, for example, at the moment, Ginger, when I take her out for walks, she's not wanting to go far. And I'm thinking, is it something to do with her joints? I know one of the children, again, over in America, has some arthritic issues. I'm like, is it something to do with her joints? Is it something to do with her muscles that they're fatiguing? Is it her heart issues that are coming up? And so it's really great to be able to just quickly ask a question in the support group and get all these answers and at least then be able to go to your doctor and say, okay, this is what they've said. This is what I'm thinking. And there's even been times in the past where, you know, I know before she was diagnosed, I was saying, you know, she's she's got a really infectious laugh. And, you know, then when I joined the support group, I asked someone that and they're all saying, oh, yes, you know, so-and-so's got a really infectious laugh as well and such a quirky sense of humour and you think people say, oh, that's not part of a, a syndrome and you go, no, it is, that's their nature. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to find things out like that and not feel like you're going crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, And also, we, you know, we have started two parents from one of the children over in America. They started a foundation Cat 6A Foundation, and so they put the word out on the support group, would anyone like to be interested? So we began the foundation just purely made up of parents, um, including myself, and now we have outsiders involved, and it's great because through that we can fundraise, we can work with researchers, uh, we can look into treatments, we can help the community of Cat 6A and, as I said now, Cat 6B by providing them with support, with technology to help them communicate, with assistance if they need a special bike or a wheelchair. We have grants that they can apply to and, you know, we can provide support not just through our words and helping them get through but actually now with with grants to help them get through. So. It feels really great to be helping so personally, not just Ginger, but other children with Cat 6A and Cat 6B. That's fantastic. And so anyone newly diagnosed now is going to have all of this support and obviously there's research that's still happening now. Yes. So, you know, we have a website and they can go to our website, cat6a.org, and they can look at all the published research that's been done. They can apply for the Empowered Grant, as I said, if they need some financial assistance with a therapy. They can connect with us, ask us questions. There's a lot that they can do. They can join our patient registry, which um, helps us gather a, a lot of information about the syndrome to then pass on to researchers, which is huge because it's difficult as a parent of a child with additional needs just daily living but to then you know when someone wants to do research you've got to fill in all these surveys and a lot of parents don't want to do that so if they fill in the patient registry then we have all the information that we can then pass on to the researchers so having this all set up now there's so much more support for them what I had when Ginger was first diagnosed. That's incredible that this has all been set up by a patient group as well. 
Yes, I know. That's some real go-getters in this community. I tell you, it's great to be a part of it. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. So I guess going along from that, I'm presuming there's challenges that you face every day with Ginger, but on the flip side of that, there are also good times and joyous occasions and and things like that, that I think is often what we don't necessarily hear with these sort of stories. So can you maybe give us some examples or just speak a bit about both of those sides? You know, it's funny, the um, often they are the same thing, the challenges and the joys. Oh, really? <laughs> Maybe it's my warped sense of humour, I'm not sure. But um, things like, okay, here, here's a great example that happened just uh, two days ago. I took her to a playground. I've a- we've actually just moved from Albury, where I was living, as I said before, to Brisbane for Ginger, which will be great because there's uh, a lot more opportunities here with doctors and specialists and therapists and not having to travel so far and schools and things. And so we were driving out to the tip to get rid of rubbish from moving. And I saw this playground. I said, oh, my gosh, that looks so fun, Ginger. Let's stop. And she needed to go to the toilet while we were there. So I took her to the toilet. And disabled toilets, of course, are larger in size. And so the door is further away from the toilet than it is in other bathrooms. And Ginger always likes to open the door while I'm on the toilet. <laughs> and so we were at this playground and I, I took her and then I was like, well, while we're here, I'll go. And, of course, she opens the door and the door doesn't self-close and it's open <laughs> and there just happens to be a line of traffic stopped oh, at a red no. traffic light. <laughs> And I'm sitting there and it's like, <laughs> what do you do? Don't mind me. <laughs> so, you know, and that's happened. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you how many times that's happened where she's opened the door and I've been stuck on the toilet. You're going to quickly race up. The worst actually is when I've been at the pool with her, you know, in a one-piece swimsuit. And so you've got to pull it all the way down to go to the bathroom. <laughs> she opened the door and I was essentially – naked oh <laughs> like, no oh hey <laughs> <laughs> do you almost expect it now when you go to the toilet I look at the lock and I think oh god that's an easy one for her to open I'm, I'm gonna have to go quick here you know but I, I think that's the thing you learn to have a really good sense of humor and you learn to not worry about what people think of you and those things all those cars that were stopped at that red traffic light I have no idea who they are Mm. so what does it matter if they saw me (laughs) good luck to them I hope it made your day (laughs) so yeah it's things like that those challenges traveling is hard traveling to get here to Brisbane you know she doesn't like to sit still and you know on a plane you've got to sit in your seat and once you figure out how to undo the seatbelt she was climbing over the seat to try and get out. I was laying back at one point. She's climbing over me. She's leaning over the people in the front. When we left and we were walking out up the aisle, I said to the, the mother and daughter in the front, who were just so patient and understanding and kind, I said, thank you so much for being very patient and understanding. And the mum said, oh, don't worry about it. That's the best boob feel I've ever had. <laughs> Because Ginger, she's just, she's in people's spaces and people don't understand, particularly kids. And 
you know, she's always got her hands in her mouth and then she tries to touch them and it freaks them out. And particularly now in COVID times, when we're traveling and we have to stop at a service station and I've got to take her to the bathroom, again, it's that whole, I've been in a situation, fortunately on this instance, she couldn't open the lock, but then she sort of lays on the floor with her hands all over the floor and then puts her hands in her mouth and you're like, oh, Ginger, stop. Oh, don't touch that. Don't, you know, and she wipes down the banisters and, you know, you're thinking, ah, germs, COVID, oh. But you've got to laugh. You've got to laugh. So yeah, often the challenges and the joys are the same. But then sometimes challenges are actually challenges. You know, in the morning, you know, with a, a typical child, you can say, what would you like for breakfast? And they can say, can I have some toast? It's easy. It's an easy interaction. I have to get Ginger's communication device out. And it's quite an extensive process that she has to go through. She has to press the button for eat. And then she has to press the button for meals and then go to breakfast to press toast. And it will say then toast. And I'll say, okay, you want some toast? What would you like on it? And then she's got to go back to eat and then back to condiments to choose what she wants on it. You know, so it's a process for her and it must be so frustrating. And then to even to go out, to be able to use that iPad out you know, you have a a strap to carry it around your neck and that's cumbersome. Like that's her voice that we just all take for granted that we just have our voice to communicate all the time. And she's carrying this lug of an iPad around her neck. Mm -hmm. So the challenges, I suppose, the ones for me, while they're hard, I, I get through them because I always think about, you know, what it's like for her. And that gets me through. And I suppose that's then the other joys is what I've learned from having her in my life is, like I said, I don't worry so much about what people think of me. I really live my life and have become really true to myself and just seeing the joy in all the little things around me because sometimes I just see things through her eyes. Like we've just moved here, as I said, to Brisbane and everything's so exciting you know we're out and about and I'm saying Ginger look at all the hills in our new neighborhood you know like I'm gonna get so fit like rather than (laughs) oh my god it's so hilly like everything's exciting for me you know as I said when we went to the tip the other day I'm saying Ginger look at the colored lines on the ground telling us where to go the yellow line means we're going to the recycling section isn't that so cool? I love that. (laughs) This tip is awesome. You know, everything just seems great to me. And I see things through those eyes of wonder that I think we lose a lot of because we get bogged down in stuff. Like people say to you, don't sweat the small stuff. You know, live each day like it's your last. You have all these sayings that people say these things to you. But I know for me, they were just words. Like I got it. I understood the concept. But I wasn't really putting it into practice, whereas now I do. It's like the penny dropped. I remember being at the supermarket one time and this lovely gentleman stopped to just chat to Ginger and he said, oh, hello, what's your name? And I said, oh, I'm sorry, she can't talk. And I had this moment, in that moment, I just thought, oh, my gosh, how often do I say that? I say that so many times and every time I do, 
I'm reinforcing to Ginger that she can't talk. And that's not okay. Maybe she can. Maybe one day she will. I don't know. But I'm doing it to be polite to a stranger because I didn't want him thinking she was rude if she didn't answer him. And I thought, I, I don't know him. Like the people in the traffic lights, I don't know him. What's the worst that can happen? He'll go home and say to his partner, I met this rude child today. Mm -hmm. Highly unlikely, but that's the worst thing. And that is not so bad. And so I just, in that moment, I thought I need to be mindful of the words that I use in front of her and how I speak about her and to not care if people think she's rude or what they think of me and so all those sayings that people say, it's suddenly the penny dropped. It's like staring at those magic eye puzzles for so long and you're staring, 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 <laughs> then all of a sudden it comes into focus and you go, ah, oh, I get it. I know how to live now. I say to my friends sometimes, it's like I can see the matrix. I'm Neo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I like hearing that. But it is true and, I mean, it, it's been like that for a lot of the guests that I've had on the show as well and for me as well. It's like you often have to go through something in order to then see it, which is unfortunate. It really is. But I think we take a lot for granted until something happens and it's kind of taken away or something changes and then that's when we start to see differently. I actually I understand what you're saying, you know, that it's unfortunate, but in a lot of ways I feel... Like I feel like it's unfortunate if someone hasn't gone through challenges or trauma or tragedy because of what you do get out of it. I mean, not everyone does. I do think it's a choice how you handle it. But I definitely, as much as times can be hard, especially when the sleep's really difficult and I don't get a lot and I'm tired, but I definitely always feel so fortunate that I've had Ginger for the person that it's made me. and for how I see things now and just for being so comfortable in my own skin. Like I've always, I'm a big personality and I've always been told in, in different ways, in various ways that you're too much or you're a lot. And so I would often try to, I suppose, rain quell back. that, yeah, rain that side of my personality back. And again, all this stuff has just made me realise that, you know, we're all different and it's okay for someone to not like you it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you or whatever like I always say now not everyone likes tomatoes you know if I go to a, a cafe and someone orders a burger and says I don't want any tomatoes thanks no one analyzes what's wrong with the tomato or even what's wrong with you for not liking tomatoes yeah we just say oh well, that's your taste buds you don't like tomatoes you don't like the flavor of tomatoes big deal and so I look at it that way like not everyone likes my flavor and that's okay. Like, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. And it's, it's so liberating to, to feel that way. Yeah, So course. I'm so grateful for having Ginger for getting me to that point. And I feel like I'm living a, a bigger and better life for that reason. I don't know what to say to that. That's incredible. And I love it. Absolutely love it. It feels good. It feels good. <laughs> <laughs> So now that, like you're saying, a lot's been happening around the Cat 6A with your group, 
advocating and bringing everything into the light. What do you hope for the future for CAT6A and obviously for the research that's continuing along with that? We have quite a bit of research happening around the world, including in Melbourne, Australia. We have a few researchers there, which, you know, I'm really proud to say. But, you know, research costs a huge amount of money, exorbitant amount of money. And so, you know, they need funding from governments and philanthropists and, you know, grants and donations. And, you know, we as the foundation, we hold fundraisers and try to get grants ourselves. So it all just costs so much money. But research is vital. And so in the future, you know, we're hoping that they will find treatments to improve the functionality of, as I was saying earlier, those parts of the body that um, are affected by having a CAT6A mutation. And in doing so, you know, it improves their quality of life. Like if we can find treatments to, you know, help the severity of the gastrointestinal issues, just to not have that pain that Ginger and some of the some of the kids have excruciating pain and have to get operations for it. If we can find treatments that can help improve their speech, if we can find treatments that help improve their sleep, that then helps me to sleep and be a better mother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it all improves their quality of life. And to have so many challenges, if you can improve some of those, like that's just gold for them. Just absolute gold so that's the plan is it difficult because it's a rare condition and not many people have heard of it compared to something that's really well known um, in terms of fundraising and getting funds how difficult is it with a rare condition oh absolutely Jess it's so difficult I mean you think if you're walking down the street and someone's shaking a tin for breast cancer or they ring you up or something, just cancer in general, you know someone has been affected. So you'll give to the Cancer Council. You'll buy the daffodil or the pink ribbon. So you don't really think much of it because everyone knows someone who's been affected. Mm -hmm. If I say to someone, oh, can you please donate to Cat6A? What? They have no idea and, not you know, so you're competing. It's like David and Goliath and also, you know, just in terms of getting government funding. Of course they're going to give more money to research that's going to help improve the lives of many people rather than the few. The thing is, though, there's people, there's many more people out there with CAT6A. As I said, the awareness is just not there They don't know they've got CAT6A or even when the child's born, the doctor doesn't know it exists. So there's many more out there. We just need to have them be diagnosed. But, yeah, it's like David and Goliath. It's hard. And I understand people want to give to what's close to their heart. So give a shout-out. How do we support you? So if you go to our website, cat6a.org, there's a donate button so you can donate directly or you can go to our shop and buy some cool merch with um, Rare Disease Day coming up. We like to um, release a new T-shirt or merch every year for Rare Disease Day. So we've got some new designs coming out 
this year that just say rare, so you don't even need to have Cat 6A or Cat 6B. You could just have another rare syndrome or you could think like me, like I just think I'm pretty rare generally anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, support us and get yourself a T-shirt that shows how rare and cool you are. And I will pop all the details in the show notes for this episode so you can go and have a look. And on Rare Disease Day, you can also wear your stripes. That's a thing we like to do. So you put some stripes on, whether you want to put some stripes on your face, paint them on, or just on your hand, or put a stripy T-shirt on, a stripy hat, and take a photo of yourself and put it on your socials with the hashtag, show your stripes and Rare Disease Day. And that just gets the conversation going. And it might be that someone Googles Rare Disease Day and find something out or Google's Cat 6A and find something out about us. So just get the conversation starting, raise awareness. And also it might encourage you to learn about, as I was saying earlier, how to communicate with someone who's nonverbal. Because, you know, I think when we know more, it helps us be better prepared. It helps us know how to do things. So I always say, like, you're not going to know how to play basketball if no one's ever taught you the rules or you've never even seen a game you need to learn you need to observe and then you try and then you practice and you practice and sometimes you mess up and you get better and it's the same with this I always say to people don't be scared to ask me questions because I'm open the more people know how to communicate with Ginger and how to understand who she is the more included she will be. So she's always going to be excluded if people don't know how to include her. So ask me questions and watch how I communicate with her and see what she does and see what sound she makes to know she likes that, she's happy or, you know, she doesn't like that. So it's just just keep trying. I, I would much rather you ask me questions and maybe get it wrong or say the wrong word than to not at all because she will always be excluded if you don't try. Exactly. Yeah, well, because, I mean, even even myself, I didn't have anyone with a disability in my life before having Ginger. And so I, I wouldn't have known all this stuff. I didn't know. So I don't expect people to know and to be experts on it. I'm not an expert on it. And that's what I say. Please, I'm so approachable. Stop and ask me. And um, it's the best way. I am very friendly. I love making friends. (laughs) (laughs) So what advice would you give to a parent who has just had a child that has been diagnosed with either CAT6A or another rare condition? Uh, Just feel what you need to feel. We're all different. We all react and respond differently and There's no right or wrong way. Just do what you need to do. I often, in Australia, when new families are diagnosed, act as family support. And so I'll be sort of a bit of a first port of call for them. And I've heard a lot. I've heard it all. And there's nothing that I would ever judge on or feel is the wrong way. They're all so different. We're all so different. So just feel what feels right for you. And I would also say then once you start on your journey to trust your own instincts, doctors are amazing and I love them. I can't rave about them enough. But, you know, sometimes you know your child. You're 
you're there with them all the time and to trust your instincts. And if you feel like you need to really push a point, then push it or find a different doctor or a different therapist or whatever. You've really got to trust and back yourself and advocate for your child because you are the best person to do that. Mm-hmm. I suppose on that, oh, one thing I learned to do actually is I take a lot of videos and photos of things. I find it really the best way to explain when I go to um, doctors or therapy appointments. You know, there's so much room for interpretation when you're using your words. So if I video things, it's much easier to say this is what she's doing when she's saying this or doing that or I think she might be having a seizure, it looks like this. Um, And you can show them what it looks like. I I have a lot of uh, I have a lot of photos of Ginger's poo in my mm-hmm. photo library, <laughs> just to show the doctors, the gastroenterologists. Probably a a big one that I've learnt is I feel like with kids in general, they don't have a lot of control in their lives. Um, you know, they're getting no choice with what you're having for dinner, what school you're going to, you know, all that sort of stuff. But for kids with additional needs, it's even more so that they just don't get a lot of say in their life. So I'm really aware of that. And, you know, I often will take Ginger to the supermarket, talk about daily challenges like we were talking about before. And she just loves riding the escalator. And so I go to try and do the supermarket shopping and she races straight for the, like bolts on me, straight for the escalator. And then we just have to ride it. (laughs) The other day I took her to a shopping centre and she literally rode the escalators for two hours and I got nothing done. (laughs) (laughs) But I just had to, I had to relinquish control and say she doesn't get to choose a lot in her life. Mm. So just let her go with it because it settles her down and it makes her happy and if it means I have to go home and do an online order for my groceries then so be it you know she's had this hour or two or whatever where she got to make decisions for what she wanted to do and it's made her happy and granted there's usually a bit of a tantrum when I say it's time to go (laughs) And fortunately for me, you know, Ginger's not um, someone who will uh, hit. She she can regulate her behaviour reasonably well. And I know that's really difficult for some parents of children with additional needs. She doesn't have that so much. And I can get her out fairly easily. She loves the piggyback by saying, you know, Ginger, I have a piggyback. To then she just tends to suck my hair and pash my back. She's got a lot of... (laughs) sensory input in her mouth so by the time I get in the car I've got hickeys all over my back and and dreadlocks in my hair but at least at least I've gotten her out of there but just to stop every now and again and not drag them around give them that time where they can choose something that they want to do because I do find that she then will be more relaxed the rest of the day because she's had she's had that time where she got to do something that she wanted to do. And then I suppose actually probably my most important piece of advice would be to not be afraid to get help and to get support. You know, in Australia we have 
the NDIS as our insurance scheme for people with a disability. And, you know, if you need help doing up your plan, get it. Get support. If you've got family who can help or friends who offer, say yes, even if it's just for a few hours. And and to do it when you're not at your wit's end because it's not like having a typical child where they can just take them off and amuse them. You know, it usually requires, you know, like Ginger with her with her lack of communication, if she said to you, for example, Bobble, Bobble, you know, what would you think that means? I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> it means it means she's thirsty and she wants some water. So oh, okay. out of a specific water bottle, hence the word bobble. So I would need to explain those sorts of things to someone. And if someone comes in when I'm at breaking point, says, here, let me take ginger off you for a few hours, I, 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 it's like, uh, I, I, I can't, yeah. I, I've got nothing left in me to give to be able to give you instructions and stuff. It's easier if I just do it on my own. So, mm-hmm. you know, before you get to that point, get some people around you, get some support set up and and train them so that when you need, they're there. Or more importantly, before you need, they're there. Mm-hmm. So that when you're trying to do the supermarket shopping and they want to ride the escalators for two hours, you've got the patience <laughs> to be able to go, yep, I will do this. And I'll figure out the groceries later. I'll eat toast tonight. Whatever. I'll figure it out. Rather than when you're tired and at your wit's end, you just can't, you can't think straight. Mm -hmm. So that's probably the most important thing is get yourself support. You need it. You need it. So with everything that you've learned, it sounds like you've learned a lot as you've gone along here. My final question that I ask everybody is, If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Hands down, don't worry what people think of you. Like, it's so liberating. I I can, and I look at kids and teenagers these days and, yeah, I I just wish they didn't care so much. And not in an arrogant way, like, I don't care what you think of me, just in a, I, I just, yeah, I'm okay, like I said. You don't like my flavor? That's a okay. Yeah. It's not I a big that. deal. Yep, that would be it. Well, thank you so much, Meg, for joining me today and speaking about Cat 6A and rare diseases and rare disease day. Check out the show notes, everybody, for all the information that you need. And is there any last comment you'd like to make about today, rare disease day? Don't forget to show your stripes. And post your pictures with the hashtag show your stripes and rare disease day. Let's get the conversation started. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Inspirational Tales. If you're enjoying the podcast, I'd love it if you could please share it with your family and friends so that we can inspire more people. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please don't forget to leave us a rating or a view and make sure that you have subscribed or followed the podcast on whichever platform that you are listening to it on so that you can stay up to date as new episodes are released. Thanks again and I look forward to you joining me for the next episode of Inspirational Tales.